0: on the plan of god that could have ushered in jesus now you may disagree with that but uh and uh, you can't disprove it i can't prove it but in reading how civilization has gone and find out that we end up at this same period of time in different civilizations and then all of a sudden things fall apart and have to start over there's a place in civilization when it comes to this place that the church needs to turn it around and if the church will turn it around Jesus can return for a glorious bride, right? So if I'm wrong, we're just still at this time in history for us that's been prophesied. But if it's come to where evil times have grown worse and worse in generations past or in civilizations past, then they were saying the same thing. Look at what's going on, right? I was reading that in the ninth century, this writer said we were in this, this city park, and this singer began to sing with language and lewdness and promiscuity in ninth century. Sounds like what could be happening in a park in America today. Right? So if we're not careful, we begin to go down a path. That takes place. And Paul told Timothy about this. And so when we read it, we're like, well, now wait a minute. And he's telling Timothy this like 2,000 years ago. But he's warning about the day that they live in, the days to come, and that the church really has a place in history, in any generation, to really make the Word of God and the power of God stand out so that the knowledge of the glory of the Lord can fill all the earth. The knowledge of the glory, the splendor, the power, and the presence of the Lord to fill all the earth will take the church with an understanding of the glory of the Lord and a boldness to speak his word and to stretch forth his hand. It'll take a church that understands repentance and revival. It'll take a church that understands consecration and dedication to the things of God. I believe we're on the edge of a revival, and, and I don't know what it looks like, you know, but I, I just have a sense that certainly we may go way back in history and find out that these things happen and they move, but I believe that for us in the modern church, we're on the edge of a revival that will spark many things, but the beginning of that revival is repentance and consecration and dedication to God consecration and dedication to god to turn things around so paul says this to timothy in second timothy chapter three and verse one and i'm going to read a lot and then we'll go back just a little bit it says know this but know this know this don't imagine this but i'm telling you i'm telling you directly i'm telling you succinctly so that you will know so you won't be caught by surprise you won't go oh my god what is going on here i didn't see this coming he said, but know this, that in the last days, and literally he's he's talking about when you study this, the last of the last days. That in the last of the last days, perilous times will come. Perilous times. Times that are very difficult. Times that are hard To bear, it says. Rick Renner says, he breaks down this word. He says this perilous time actually goes back to a Greek word that, that really relates to the demoniac that came to Jesus that was full of seven demons. And he was in a perilous condition full of that legion of devils and how it was wreaking havoc in his life. Same type of description of the times that we live in and the times that that man lived in his life. Times hard to bear, living amongst the tombs and the dead, and the dead situations and circumstances of life. Anybody think that we're living in some times that are hard to bear, that are perilous? When we look out, he said they will come for, this is a great connecting word, for. In other words, perilous times are going to come because, because. Men or mankind will become lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanders, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. Wow, he lists off a whole streak of things. And understand this about the pleasures, lovers of pleasure, rather than lovers of god lovers of themselves lovers uh, uh, of all the things that can go on lovers of money he's talking about desires and james says this he said listen when things are going on and evil things are happening and we feel bad about that he said don't don't think god is tempting you with evil god is not tempted With evil, nor would he tempt anyone with evil, but each one is tempted when he's drawn away by his own desires. He's drawn away by his own desire for pleasure that's working in the sinful nature. And when he's drawn away by that desire, that desire produces sin, and sin produces death. He said there's a process that begins to take place in the life of a person. There is a process that begins to take place when it starts to take place in the lives of men. It starts to take place in society around us. And when it starts to take place in the hearts of men and in society around us, it becomes very hard to bear. It's a perilous time. He says they have a form of godliness but denying its power. From such people turn away. For of this sort are those who creep into households and make captive of gullible women. And again, we think those are just ladies. You can read it. He's just talking about a sort of people. Gullible people. Frail people. Who are laden down with their sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, I'll just tell you, I believe this speaks of the day that we live in. I used to read this and think, you know, how are these people going to creep into these houses in such magnitude? And now you look at Google. You look at social media. Creeping in to gullible people who want to know more and more and more and more, but they can't seem to get to the point where they feel like they know the truth. Because they're being led away by every opinion, by everything that is said. We're so intimidated we we so find identity now in in this place of of social media young people i'm just telling you uh, there's a turnaround you're going to have to find your identity in christ and not the social media young people i mean sometimes when i listen to it my heart goes out but my mind has trouble grasping it from where i came from i'm just starting to get to that middle age life but to even imagine i mean we talk about we were ta- I was talking the other day, and, you know, uh, Carrie and David are about ready to have their baby, and so who are we going to call? Who are we going to talk to, you know? So I- I'm vying I'm- I'm to be first on the list. I, th- I don't think I am. <laughs> but when we talk about that, we understand, like, okay, boom, you have a baby, and David can go, hey, the baby's here. Listen, when we had our baby, I had to go find a phone, <laughs> not a cell phone. I had to wait for a phone. I had to dial someone, right? And then the issue was if I called my parents, I had to dial and pay long distance. So sometimes it's just difficult to figure out, right? And so when you hear that, that young people are, are, from watching a screen, coming to the point that they feel like their life is worthless... Because of what somebody is saying on a screen or posting that they don't compare, and it's so affecting their identity and their heart because of somebody somewhere that you don't even know is real. Come on, we've come to a place where we've lost our identity as a people. And I'm not coming, I'm not coming down hard. I'm, I'm kind of distressed, and my heart goes out, and it's broken that we don't know Jesus well enough to say, I can put this aside. I know who I am. And I know it's plaguing young people, but don't you old people think you're off the hook? Sing has captivated us. All right, I'll get off that. That went over big. Do not touch my device. Come on, there's ways that they creep in. We have to guard. If they're not going to creep in and lead astray, we've got to put up the bars. We have to know the truth. The truth will set us free. Not... Ever cycling trying to figure out what's true, but go to the word of God. Amen. He goes on to say, Janice and Jambres resisted Moses. So do these also, uh, do these also resist the truth? These people, men of corrupt minds, disapproved concerning the faith, but they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all, as so was Janus and Jambres. Now listen, he goes on to this, verse 10. He says, But you Have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecution, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, and at Lystra. What persecutions I endured, and out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. And that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. That the man of God or the woman of God, the person of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Starting in verse 1, he says, I charge you therefore before God and the Lord Jesus Christ, who will judge the living and the dead at his appearing and his kingdom. Preach the word. Be ready in season and out of season. Convince, rebuke, exhort with all longsuffering and teaching, for the time will come. When they will not endure sound doctrine, but according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. They will turn their ears away from the truth and be turned aside to fables. But you be watchful in all things, endure affliction, do the work of an evangelist, and fulfill your ministry. That's a mouthful. He starts off saying difficult times will come because men will be lovers of all kinds of things except God. They'll be chasing after all kinds of things except for God. I was reading this book somebody gave me, and you know sometimes you come up on stuff, and just just the other day, I mean, I've been praying out some things and didn't even know this. I was passing by my bookcase, and I stopped, and I was just looking at this, and I just felt impressed. I grabbed this book. It's not really a Christian book. Somebody gave it to me. Um, In fact, I'll probably get the name wrong, uh, but who will we choose to be? Somebody actually gave it to me as a leadership book, and I've actually been praying that God would would m- remove politicians and raise up leaders. And so um, I didn't know really what it, what it had in it, and I'm just starting, and so I'm not going to give you the name and the author and stuff so you can read it. I don't even know what all is in it, but I found some very interesting things at the beginning of it. And uh, uh, so I want to share some of those with you so it might bring some, some light to, to what's going on and what we can really focus on and then get to that. But uh, here... The author refers uh, to this um, historian, Uh, his name is Sir John Glubb, and he wrote this, uh, The Fate of Empires and the Search for Survival. And he goes on to, to this, he studied 13 civilizations that collapsed in the Middle East and Asia, and he observed the process of moral decay. He gives uh, six, uh, uh, um, six processes to how a civilization collapses. And this is really just a synopsis of it. Uh, it says he's observing the process of moral decay from generation to generation that end in collapse after 10, ten generations. In other words, these 13 uh, civilizations that were highly productive after 10 generations or 250 years... Are we coming on 250 years? We're after 250 years, collapsed. He located a process by which they they collapse. He said that that ten generations is the life expectancy of a great nation. And it appears it does this process, and it commences with really, a, 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 he calls it a violent, a violent, and unusually unforeseen burst of energy in other words come on the scene we can do this uh we'll take ground we'll we'll conquer we'll take the civilization it 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 just really comes in this place of great energy and it ends listen to this in the lowering of moral standards it ends in the lowering of moral standards cynicism pessimism and frivolity the author goes on to say, as you will learn here, he describes specific behaviors and attitudes of each age that read like the news stories of our current time but that are characteristic of all civilizations in their final days. Ooh. Come on, that moral decay. He talks about it right here. God talked to us about it. He said, listen, there's going to be a moral decay when people... Come to the place where they're lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God. And they go on to lose their identity. I thought about this because we talk about our identity in Christ uh, so much. And the author writes this says, The most powerful organizing dynamic in life, the most powerful organizing dynamic in life is identity. The first act of life is to define a self, whether a microorganism or a human being. In humans, how we define ourselves determines our perceptions, beliefs, behaviors, and values. Listen, for everybody here who hasn't read Identification in Christ by Mark Hankins, get it, read it, start to understand who you are in Christ. I believe this is a true statement. It's not coming from a believer, but identity is the key. And it's the key to your belief, your perceptions around you, and your value system is your identity. And if our identity is not found in Christ, we are trying to find our identity in something else. And the world is really trying to press the fact of identity because the enemy knows this the enemy knows if I can get you to identify with something other than Jesus Christ it'll begin to go downhill it'll begin to go towards death and collapse and destruction the only thing that will bring us up into life and the fullness of life and everlasting life and the prosperity of life and be fulfilled in life is our identification with Christ his death his burial and his resurrection And if we truly identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection, that's why the turnaround starts with repentance. It's to say, listen, I'm wrong, and I give that, and I crucify myself to the cross, and I identify not only with the death and the burial, but the resurrection of Jesus Christ. I identify with the ascension. I am now seated at the right hand of majesty on high. I have authority over all principality, power, might, and dominion. Every work of the devil... And we can say that, but if we don't identify with Christ, we say, I identify with his authority. You can't identify with his authority if you don't identify with his death, his burial, and his resurrection. If you didn't die out to the old man, you can't understand the new man and the power that he has over the sin that was killing you. So we're trying escapism instead of identification. Identification. We're trying to cut the corner. I would love to have the authority and the blessing of God without identifying with the death. But Paul said, listen, this is what I yearn for. I've studied. I've learned. I was a Pharisee among Pharisees. I was a doctor of the law. I achieved all that you could in the flesh. But nothing compares to knowing Jesus Christ and the power of his resurrection. He said, the way I know the power of his resurrection because I first knew the fellowship of his sufferings by giving all of that up All the prestige, all the certificates, all the diplomas, I gave it up to know the calling of Jesus Christ, to not be who man wanted me to be, but to be who God created me to be. Come on. Our identification with Christ is vital. We want to identify with one part, but you can't identify with the resurrected part, because there is no resurrection without a crucifixion. There is no resurrection without a burial. And we bow and we repent and we say, God, I'm, gonna, I'm going to the wrong direction. I'm following the world system. I'm following the lust of my flesh. I lay that down. I die to that. He says, now you are a candidate for resurrection life. And when resurrection life takes hold, you have authority over those things that used to drive you and bind you. Now you can say no. Because I don't identify with the old man. I don't identify with the hurts. I don't identify with the wounds. That's not who I am anymore. Come Come on, I understand the testimony. But if we keep going back to what happened to us in the natural It'll define who we are and give us our identity as broken, as wounded, as, as a victim of something. But when we come out and we've raised from the dead, we no longer identify with that. We identify with the victory and the resurrection that brought us out. So there must be brief reference to the identification of the hurt. And big reference... To the rescue of of the resurrection to define our identity the world's pushing the world's pushing you've been wounded you've been hurt you're like us look what happened but i'm not like you the same thing wounded me but i died and i raised from the dead and i'm no longer like a world that continues to move in its wounds and its hurts and its victimization because i've raised from the dead and i'm now identified with christ and i'm an overcomer This author goes on to say this, (laughs) glory to God. Today, it is this primary dynamic of identity that drives social media and has led to its overbearing, distorting presence in our lives. Social media enables a culture of manufactured identities where people create any self that ensures their popularity in the digital age identity has changed from a culturally transmitted sense of self within a group to an individual one right we used to find our identity here in this group now we we become whoever we want to be we transmit that whatever will make us popular where you can be anything you want Praise the Lord. Come on. I can be anything I want to be. I can promote on social media anything I want to be. If I stay at a Holiday Inn Express, I could be a doctor. (laughs) Listen, the author goes on to say this. In this maelstrom of constantly changing selves, ideas of objective truth and integrity disappear. Ethics and taking a stand don't matter popularity does So why are you reading this because we just read what Paul said 2,000 years ago would take place We're reading a more modern version of how it's taking place. It is taking place just like God said, but we look and go well, okay but it's taking place. People's are lo- people are lovers of self. They have identity to be whatever they want to be, to be popular, lovers of money, lovers of, uh, of all kinds of things, right? But it, our identity. And so there is no right. There is no wrong. It's whatever I want it to be, whatever I've created, because I don't have an identity. I'm moving here. I'm moving there. And so there's no absolutes anymore. But there is an absolute. There is life, and there is death. There is a heaven, and there is a hell. There is a God, and there is a devil. There is right and there is wrong. It's just a fact. Amen. And we, the church, need to come to that place. The author goes on to say, This understanding of how identity has created our present-day culture can be easily plotted against Glove's six ages of collapse. At first, the Pioneer, Age, I, uh, the Pioneer Age, identities form from a sense of honor and commitment to a cause. So the author's going back to, this, this same man we read about before, his six stages. He said there's a pioneering stage. And first of all, identities have that sense of commitment to one another, to a cause. For us as believers, we pioneer, we go places to bring the gospel, yes, right? We identify there's a cause, the cause of Christ. Sacrifice and service are the guiding values. Sacrifice and service are the guiding values. Midway. All civilizations evolve into an age of commerce where money and wealth become the organizing identities. This is over 13 civilizations. They start off with a purpose. They start off with a cause. They start off united. They start off serving, honoring, committing to that cause. Midway, it turns to commerce where money and wealth become the organizing identities. Service gives way. To getting rich. In the final stage, the age of decadence, this is the end of his six things celebrities, athletes, musicians, and actors are revered, and people lose themselves in wanton pleasures. This is going back centuries to 13 different civilizations and a pattern. The author goes, to, goes on to say this, just for example, in November 2016, President Obama awarded presidential medals of freedom primarily to athletes, musicians, and actors. And so we can see as we even look at that in our civilization that Paul, writing to Timothy, saying in the last of the last days, these are the things that are going to take place. He so, said, well, that's great, pastor. What do we do? We cling to the word of God. He said, listen, you're going to be swayed by all the things that go. But he told Timothy, he said, you preach the word of God. You know where you've come from. And you understand what you've learned and where you've learned it from. And you began to operate in faith. So he says, listen, he told Timothy this. Number one, you have to continue in the things that you have learned things that you've learned there's more to learn but these basic things will save your life and it will save the people around you paul told timothy he told him listen if you'll continue in the understanding of what you've learned you'll meditate in it and you'll give yourself entirely to it you'll not only save yourself but you'll save those who hear you Listen, there's something that you've been taught that God is changing your life. If you'll let him and you meditate on it and and don't meditate on where the world is going and your self-desire, but you die out and you identify with Christ and change take place and now you meditate on it. You don't leave it aside and say, well, I got saved 60 years ago and I'm fine. No, but I got saved and I've been working out my salvation. I've been allowing the Holy Spirit to lead me and guide me and direct me and teach me and change me and transform me. And my life is in the process of change. But I'll tell you what, the old man is dead and a new man is emerging. And I can give you those pieces of that place. And by reminding myself, I save myself from backsliding. And when I save myself from backsliding because I remind myself, I also share with others and save them as well. What you're meditating on and what you're focusing on and moving forward with God and sharing that with others, you think they don't care, but you're sharing something that will save them. Yes, sir. It doesn't have to be super spiritual. We don't have to mark it with the thus saith the Lord. We just have to begin to talk to people about what God is doing in our life, what we're meditating on, what we're changing, and why we're changing it, and walk away and let the Holy Spirit begin to work on them. And it may bring salvation to their life. Let me just go through this really quickly. This is just a short list. but I just wanted to, I I know that, you know, I've been here a long time. But what you have learned, you've learned about salvation. You've learned about faith in God. You've learned about the love of God, loving one another. And in that forgiving one another, just what he said, that there will be a culture of unforgiving people. To keep us from the harm and the, 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 the junk that goes on. I mean, for about five years, I just know, it seems like so many messages. We have got to forgive. We have got to let go of offense. Why? Because it's something that creates trouble that's hard to bear. We've learned about love and forgiveness. We've learned how to be led by the Holy Spirit. We've learned about redemption in the blood of Jesus, that you're valued. You were purchased by the blood that he ransomed your life from the destruction of sin. We've learned about righteousness. We are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. We're no longer worms and sinners, but we've been made right with God. We're sons and daughters. And if we're sons and daughters, we're heirs of his, and we're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. We've learned about the fruit of the Spirit and living and developing a new life of the Spirit. Just a short list, but I believe those things, if we go back in this generation, this time that's hard to bear, and we do what Paul told Timothy, and we continue in the things that we've learned, and we know where we've learned them, and we don't abandon them, we become a light in a dark place. We begin those who serve others and serve the cause of Christ instead of serving our own desires. He says, as you remember the things that you've learned too, you have to continue in them. Number, two, you, number one, you have to continue in them. Number two, you have to utilize the scripture for your doctrine. Not philosophies of men, but he said that the, the word of God is useful. It's inspired for doctrine, for reproof. He said, you want to prove if something's right or wrong? This word will prove it. This will prove it. It, it When you hear something, you can always try the spirits. You can learn. You can prove things, right? You can look at things, and by the word of God, prove them. I'll just give you a couple of examples. I've shared this before, but, you know, sitting with a a gentleman at one point in time, and he he threw his arms up, and he said, you know, I don't think this tithing stuff even works at all. The Bible says that if I, I do that, I'll have more than I can contain, and I still have some debt. And I knew them, and I knew when they came, and I knew when they came to church here and they learned about tithing that they were driving down an old, broken-down car and they were living in a low-rent apartment that they barely fit in. And while he's telling me this, what has transpired is they have a new car, they have a bigger apartment, they now have a child to fill that place. And I'm sitting there listening to how the tithe doesn't work. And I said, Now, wait a minute. Don't you have a new car? Oh, yeah, I do have a new car. Don't you have a baby? Oh, yeah, she's beautiful, she's lovely, we're blessed. Don't you have a new apartment to put that baby in? We just prove the word to be true. Sometimes we look at circumstance and we're like, well, I don't know what's going on in my life. Just look at the word. Because your present circumstance and the emotion is like, wow, I'm still having trouble, but God was blessing you. Sometimes the debt that you have isn't because the tie's not working, it's because as the word works and you have more, you desire more. And so instead of waiting on God, we go further in debt, but the tithe, God wants to pour out windows of heaven that there's not room enough to contain it. Walking in love, prove the word. People bound by their past over and over, talking about the hurt and what somebody did. In a moment time, I could go to testimony and testimony in my life, and when other people testified that when they actually let loose and forgave that person, Everything opened up to them. A whole new way of living, of forgetting the past and walking in the newness of life. It says you use this word to prove things. Paul said this. He said, don't be conformed to this world. Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Don't be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind that you might prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Not that you might know it mentally to debate it. He said that you might know it in action to prove that God's word is true every single time. We're not living just by desires and how it turns out in our own thinking. Because when we're governed by our own desires, we are asking God to meet our desires rather than us to meet the desire that God put in our heart. And the moment that everything is based on us and not on God, we become the God of our own life. And we are not ill-equipped. We are not created to be the God of our own life. He says you can utilize the scripture for doctrine, reproof, for correction. Correction. When the Bible comes to correct us, so many times we go, we feel condemnation and we feel judgment. But listen, the Holy Spirit is there to convict you of sin and righteousness and of judgment. If you're in a wrong place, if you're sinning, if you're going against the will of God, if you're giving way to your own pleasure rather than to God, the Scripture and the Holy Spirit are going to say, what are you doing? What are you doing? And it might f- make you feel bad. You might not want to quit, but he's trying to correct your life. Why? Because whom a father loves, he corrects. And if you'll allow me to say so without getting mad at me, we become a very stupid society because Proverbs says that he who despises correction is stupid. I used to tell my daughters that all the time. Right. I knew Carrie was thinking of that. I I had a holy a word of knowledge That as I said that carries like yep, that's one. I remember that one Because you can tell when you're trying to correct them they're getting their posture Either i'm not gonna listen or I said now don't be stupid Don't be stupid if you resist this correction, it's stupid Right, but we as a society resist correction and it's stupid because if your correction doesn't get correct, if your direction doesn't get corrected, you end up in the wrong place at the wrong time. And you might not think that you're very off course. People have shared this over and over, but if a, uh, a jet takes off in California and it's just a couple of degrees off, you might think, oh, it's just a couple of degrees off. But if it's going to New York, you'll end up somewhere, you know, at the North Pole. Over time, if it's not corrected, you end up in the wrong place. And that's why God doesn't want us to resist correction because his word is eternal. It knows the beginning from the end. It has that life and that DNA to make the cor- correction, knowing that where you're going to get you to that place, even though it's far down in the future and you don't see it today and you don't think what I'm doing today is any big deal, but down the road 20 years from now when you're like, what in the world happened? How did I end up here? You ended up there, sad and alone and mad. And don't know why God did that to you. But 20 years ago, you resisted correction. And in 20 years, it really shows up that you're off course. Though by the end of the week, it doesn't look bad. You're laughing with everybody. It doesn't seem like any big deal. But 20 years from now, you end up in a place wondering, how in the world did I get here? And it was a resisting of correction. back when you didn't realize it. So we use the word of God to correct us. And instruct us in righteousness. Instruct us in righteousness. This word tells us what a relationship we have with a loving God. This word tells us. That we've been made in his likeness and his image and he loves us and we're heirs of his and we're joint heirs with the Lord Jesus Christ. And our sin, though it separated us, Jesus paid the price to draw us near that he who knew no sin became sin for us. That we might become the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. A right relationship. Not a struggling relationship. Not a resistant relationship. But a right relationship where he loves us and we love him. And we honor him. And it says, when we honor him, guess what? It's the most amazing thing in the world. I can't teach on it right now. But the Bible says this. Grasp this. Don't let it. God honors you. When you honor God, God honors you. Come on, you can just let that go. Great, Pastor. Like, whoa. If you could grasp the God who created the universe and everything in it it honors you. See, when we don't do that, we're searching for honor for ourselves to fulfill whatever self. When we realize, wow, God and me have a relationship of honor and commitment come on god is committed to your outcome god's committed to your fulfillment in life he's committed he's invested the blood of jesus He said, listen, if you'll get a hold of this and understand this, he said, if you'll receive justification, if you'll receive forgiveness, he said, whom I justified, I also glorify. Why did he do that? He said, listen, you were in sin, but I gave Jesus to pull you out of sin, and I plan on filling you up with all that I am and all that I have and my glory, and I intend to glorify you. Why? Because you're in me and I'm in you. Without the glory of God in our life, we do not express that we are the body of Christ. Come on. Well, I'm part of the body of Christ. Where's the glory of the Lord? Oh, I don't want to take any glory to myself. No, you don't take it to yourself. He glorifies us. The splendor of Jesus himself, the glory of Jesus himself, he wants to infuse into his body. So that when we go, the glory of the Lord, the knowledge of the glory of the Lord, the splendor of God, the life-changing power, the presence is on us. So how can we be a part of the solution to these difficult times? As I was meditating on this, I just went back to these 10 things that we talked about. <laughs> I want to say last year, but it might have been two years ago, five years ago. Time zipping by. But these 10 things, if we'll meditate on them, they're different. They keep us serving one another. They keep us committed And that place where a pioneering society is serving, it's committed, it's moving according to purpose. It doesn't get off just on being rich and then all of a sudden self and celebrity. But it becomes like Jesus who said if you want to be the head, you got to serve. So I'm going to list these ten things off. You may have them in your notebook already. They cause us to become more like him. That we have a life that is passionately committed to Jesus. We come back to that place of saying... I consecrate my life to you to serve you number two that we have an extravagant love for others an extravagant love for others all kinds every tribe every tongue every people every nation because that's who he loves number three that we develop a servants heart servants heart that humble servants heart will always check your pride We'll always check your pride right now we're we're kicking against all the stuff that's going on who's who what's what what i have the right to do what i don't have the right to do and if you're not careful whether you have the right or not it'll turn into self-pride what i have the right to do above all others and it's not what we have the right to do above all others but it's what love frees us to do for others that really counts Number four, that we have an interpersonal working relationship with the Holy Spirit. We talked a little bit about that today. Number five, that we become evangelistically bold. He told Timothy right there, do the work of an evangelist. The way that we overcome this trouble is we tell people about Jesus. That they don't have to be wrapped up in self, that he redeemed them. Number six, we live morally pure. We live morally pure. This love of pleasure takes people into immorality. Over all of the centuries and over all the civilizations, moral decay. We have to live morally pure to fight that moral decay of our culture. Number seven, we live by the authority of God's word. We let the word prove and guide and direct. That instead of involving ourselves and so immersing ourselves in the world, that we make sure that we engage in biblical community. Number nine, that we are generous. That we're just and generous. We look at things, we look at needs, and we know that God has given us all sufficiency to be able to help in every charitable act and donation. Lastly, we live with purpose, we live on purpose. I believe if we'll cultivate those, we become more like Jesus and we make the difference in a world that is very hard to bear, that's in big trouble. The church will arise and shine and be a light that they are drawn unto in our generation. Praise the Lord. Why don't you stand up? Father, we thank you, we praise you, and we magnify you for your goodness and your mercy. We thank you for loving us father help us to recognize as we look out into our world every single day that though it's taking its turn as your word says it would in the day, last days that we would not just follow the flow of the course of this world which is dictated by the prince of the power of the air subject to those things as we used to be but now we realize that we are Are the antithesis of that we are going a different direction that we follow the Holy Spirit and we live according to the kingdom of God in this world but not of this world help us to define the difference that our heart might be humble that we might live on the very purpose that you placed in our hearts that we might live serving and loving people led by the Holy Spirit of God engaging and building your church, your body. Strengthen us by the Holy Spirit for this very purpose and this very cause in our life, that we truly might be transformed in this day, that we as individuals will see and stir and see the lost and do the work of an evangelist to tell people about the goodness of Jesus, that they can be reconciled to God. We thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Why don't you say this as we go. What God did in Christ Jesus? Fark seeds. Any damage done to me? By Adam's fall. You can be dismissed. Make it a great week.